0: Just how unhealthy is your home? That's a good question.
1: You you stop that, John Sarah.
0: That's a good one.
1: (laughs) Well, it depends when your home was built and where it was built and how it was built. So that's a complicated answer.
0: I have an old home built in uh, the industrial Northeast, and it was built fairly well.
1: In what year was it built?
0: 1957.
1: 1957. So Mm. you're right on the cusp. Yeah, you've got
2: some cusp of
0: what? Of good, of bad, (laughs) of deadly, of safe?
2: You've got some legacy chemicals in there, right? Well, you've probably gotten rid of them because you know a lot about this, but you've probably had some asbestos and you may still have some lead paint uh, floating around on your walls in there. You've probably got rid of your lead pipes, the water pipes that were coming into your house. You may still have lead, maybe arsenic in the soil around your house left over from kind of agricultural practices, insecticide and stuff. Or, and if your house is a painted wooden house, then you might have lead around the house.
0: And that's just the tip of the iceberg. From this old house, this is Clear Story, your home in a new light. I'm Kevin O'Connor. Of our children between age one and six suffer from lead paint poisoning, according to the United States Public Health Service. In the 1970s, the federal government released a PSA warning of the dangers of lead based paint. And in 1978, it was banned from residential use. Nearly two and one half million children live in old, dilapidated housing built before 1940. Even though many of these children do not appear ill, they still may have many types of physical and mental illnesses. The next year, a pediatrician named Herbert Needleman was working at a psychiatric clinic in North Philadelphia when a young patient came in to see him. The seemingly bright boy struggled to speak, searching for his words. He had all the signs of something the doctor had seen before, lead poisoning. Scientists knew that exposure to high levels of lead caused mental lapses in adults, even death. And a doctor in Australia had documented high lead levels in children back in 1904. Lead poisoning was called a disease of the house. But the prevailing thought was that the health concerns weren't serious and they were short-lived. Back in the psychiatric clinic, Dr. Needleman started to notice more kids with deficits. So, he conducted studies in Philadelphia and Boston, and paid six and seven-year-olds money for their teeth once they had fallen out. Needleman knew that teeth held evidence of accumulated lead exposure. What he discovered was that children in houses with peeling paint had lead levels five times higher than other kids. It turns out lead paint chips can taste sweet, attracting kids to eat them. And the effects weren't short-lived. Children had behavior problems, language and attention deficits, hearing loss, and seizures. Needleman's research showed that even low-level exposure to lead in paint, soil, and dust could cause permanent damage. And his findings paved the way for the Lead Contamination Control Act of 1988. Needleman's discoveries improved the health of millions of children, and it changed the materials coming into our home. Lead paint wasn't the only harmful material we were dealing with. So what else have we filled our homes with that was, well, potentially deadly? I called Jansara Ruth and Allison Mears. They run the Healthy Materials Lab at the Parsons School of Design. It's part of the New School in New York City. And researching the toxins we live with is what they do.
1: It's not just an issue of those older materials that we know to have caused harm, but it's a very current issue.
0: Now, they showed their detective skills at the beginning of the episode diagnosing the health of my own home. So I asked them to rate a home's health just by when it was built, starting with the year 2000.
1: Probably not so good. That may be bad. Built in
0: 1980. 1980.
1: Also not so good. Probably bad. Yeah.
0: 1950.
1: Just on the cusp. Depends who built
2: it and how well it was built. Still going to have problems with lead and asbestos.
0: 1920-ish.
1: Better. hmm We could say it was better. I mean, one of the things that we're looking at here is uh, how much plastic went into the building of your house. How much synthetic materials were included in the materials that went into your home. So it still might have lead or asbestos, but it might not have polyurethane foams. It might not have, say, acrylic paints. It might not have vinyl siding, for instance. It might not have as much plastic because all of that was kind of produced and invented after World War II or during World War II time. Yeah, and you might have some interesting linseed paints on the window frames. You might even have real wood floors. In the kitchen, you might have linoleum floors, which would be really great because at that time they were made from pure linseed oil mixed with wood pulp and wood flour. And you might not have PVC tile, for instance. You're in better shape then. (laughs)
0: 1900.
1: Also, might be better, right? Except you might still have these legacy materials. You might still have. Some asbestos. The lead in the paint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just
0: after Civil War, 1870.
2: You're probably in pretty good shape then, I would think.
0: And in earlier? 1830?
2: I'd say you're pretty good. Good, yeah. I would say you're pretty good too.
0: So my observation is that as I went forward in time, way back when in the 1820s and 30s, you were both smiling, nodding your head and said, you're going to be fine. And with every 30 years moving forward, things got grimmer, worse. Yep. Our houses became more unhealthy. Now, let me throw this one out at you. 2020.
1: Oh, my I'm sorry. Is, yeah,
2: terrible. You're <laughs> oh, probably no. living, living in a vinyl house. Right, which is
1: probably the worst place to live. You might have something called luxury vinyl tile Mm. on your floors or luxury vinyl flooring, which looks like wood, but it's actually not wood. And you might have cabinets that look like wood that aren't wood. And you might have countertops which look like stone, but they're not stone. You might have a lot of these materials which are emulating other materials, but in fact, they're made with a lot of synthetics.
2: And then your HVAC system and the way that your walls are made may be creating these really tight interiors. So the products that you're using inside your house are shedding chemicals. And then those chemicals are kind of sealed in there with you so that that air inside your house and the particles inside that house are, pro- are, are, are definitely uh, some more polluted environment than even if you're living next to a highway, potentially. It's much more toxic inside there.
1: And your windows are probably actually, that's really interesting, Alison, because then your windows are actually pretty good. In 2020, you probably have a pretty energy efficient home. But a toxic home.
0: So there's one mindset out there that goes like this, as the generations progressed, building technology improved and our homes improved. They became more comfortable, they became larger, they became more energy efficient. The plumbing came indoors and we had entertainment and we had space. All of those things are a march forward in progress and people would describe them as getting better and better over time. Your analysis is going in the opposite direction. As all of those things are happening, you're saying it's getting worse and worse, more unhealthy? What is going on?
2: Yeah, and it's not just us saying it. Just by the way, I mean, I'm an architect. John Sarah's a designer, so, you know, who are we to say anything, really? (laughs) But as public health officials, folks working in, in public health environmental scientists, they're telling us, you know, that these interior environments are worse because of these products that we're using. And the challenge is that you know where we look to the future to solve the problems of the present is that it's a kind of rampant development without any constraints it's a bit like the wild west of product development and so we sometimes think that technological advances provide us with better things we're finding that's not so in building definitely not in the terms of building products
0: so what have we been living with and how bad is it We'll find out in a minute.
1: Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, Only in Theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news?
0: We don't put harmful things in our homes on purpose. Even lead paint was used at first because it created a better product, lead pipes too. They made indoor plumbing available to millions of people. And it was a huge improvement, making our lives more convenient and healthier. Like Jansara Ruth and Allison Mears of the Healthy Materials Lab, we thought these materials would solve problems.
1: And it was used in plumbing because it was really easy to bend. Those lead pipes are like easy to bend around things. And so a plumber could go in and bend it around all the infrastructure in a home and get the water right to you. That was the intention.
0: Sounds like a pretty good idea. What went wrong?
1: It's a good idea for the installers of that plumbing pipe, not such a good idea for the people who are drinking that water. Because the the
2: water interacts with the lead, and and so you get lead going into the water, as we know from Flint,
0: Michigan, right? We have recent examples of the terrible problems associated with that. In 2015, tap water in Flint, Michigan, was found to be contaminated with lead from aging pipes. According to the Natural Resources Defense Council, lead levels in children doubled. We're familiar with lead paint. Mm -hmm. Why do we use lead in paint?
1: I mean, lead was originally used in paint because it accelerated the drying period. And it makes it really smooth and beautiful. It has this lovely look. But again, it's horrific when it comes into contact with people.
0: What kind of contact? If I touch my window casing and the lead paint is smooth and beautiful, do I get sick?
1: No, it's your
2: children as they're learning to pull themselves up from crawling to walking, when they chew on the windowsill or when the windows, as they move in the window frame, start to create that chipping that always happens around old paints and those chips fall off of the window onto the ledge, onto the floor. And then your baby, as she's crawling around on the floor, you know, sucks her finger after crawling. That's the way that lead gets into the systems of small children is through that kind of direct exposure.
0: Jonesara and Ruth say lead is the worst of the toxic materials in our home. Next up, asbestos.
2: But when asbestos fibers are added, it becomes strong and tough. Amazingly so. This
0: 1959 film by the Department of the Interior touted the amazing qualities of a new building material.
2: In traditional architecture, colorful asbestos sidewall shingles give us the same permanence and freedom from upkeep expense. In the cords of household appliances that demand heavy amounts of electricity, asbestos provides protective insulation. And no matter how long little Johnny plays with his electric train, asbestos insulation in the transformer offers
0: similar protection. Asbestos is a naturally occurring mineral. It's essentially a stone that's made up of layers of very fine fibers. And once
2: the fibers or the dust get into your lungs, they start to kind of rip up your lungs and
1: cause, you know, asbestosis and um, Meso- mesothelioma. Mes- yeah. right. You know, in our work, we often think like, oh, if everything's toxic, let's just turn to natural materials. Well, guess what? Lead, asbestos, all natural materials. And not so good.
0: How do we use asbestos in the home? Help homeowners understand where it shows up.
1: Yeah, it's often used in roofing and in siding and in cement panels.
2: In flooring tiles. If you go down to your basement and you look at those pipes that are attached to the underside of your floor and you see anything kind of white and crumbly there, beware, because that's asbestos. That is the more obvious place, but it's also part of a way of binding a whole bunch of different building products.
0: How does the asbestos affect the homeowner? How does it attack them?
2: Because it's fibrous, you'll see it almost starting to kind of fall apart in front of your eyes. And so those little fibers, as they fall down into the dust in the air in your basement, you can breathe those in. If your laundry's down there and you're shaking your sheets, you know, suddenly those particles can become airborne.
1: You can breathe them in, so extremely hazardous. You often see pipes that have, like, a lot of tape around the outside, and that's to prevent the fibers from coming out. But once there's a chip in the tape or a tear, those fibers can just, they're so small, and they can enter the atmosphere, they can enter the air that folks are breathing.
0: The last legacy material we'll cover is arsenic. It's also a naturally occurring mineral in the earth's crust. It's found in air, water, and soil. And it's highly toxic.
1: Kings and queens were poisoned with arsenic because it's completely invisible, right? But arsenic is also the thing that was used beautifully used in paint in the last century to make the most beautiful green. And yet it's poison. It's a known poison.
0: Is it, a, is it a powder? Like, how did we off the queen? did we did we crumble some powder into her into her goblet, or did we pour a little vial of liquid into her goblet?
1: It was in a liquid state when it mm. was used as a poison. It doesn't have any taste or it doesn't have any odor. And it was mixed in the drink,
0: and how do we use it in the house?
1: <laughs> well, luckily, no longer is it's no longer allowed to be used as a pigment for our paints, which is thankful. But, You know, around our homes, it's used as a pesticide. And it's used specifically to treat lumber. Mm -hmm. In the 1970s, it was used all over the place to create playgrounds and porches and decks and even docks on the lake. You know, it's used to treat lumber so it doesn't rot and so it repels insects. And it was seen as a really great asset, really. But the way you can know is if you look at the end grain of that wood... It's been around for a while. It starts to turn that same green that might have been used in the paint and
2: banned in two thousand and three. So, for the homeowner, you may want to be looking around your house to see whether your deck or any of your handrails or the dock that's going down to your little pond at the end of the garden may have used arsenic to preserve the the lumber that you have a,
1: around in the yard.
0: And if it's in and around our houses, how does it get into our bodies?
1: Well, I mean, kids we know can put their mouth on anything. But it finds its way into the water systems and to the soil systems. And then it can get into our body through that route. It also, you know, if, obviously if you're hanging around on your deck and maybe you're sunbathing and you get a splinter, it could pierce your skin and it could get into your body through the skin.
0: So let me ask you about these big three. I'm going I'm to call these the big three for right now, the legacy ones. In each case, they seem to be almost... Miracle products, Mm. Um, you know, the asbestos that doesn't burn and becomes useful everywhere. I mean, I've heard stories about the space agency using them to make our rockets work and the automobile industry making it so that our cars can break. A miraculous material. Lead, as you say, perfect delivery system for pipes, easy to use. Arsenic can preserve our wood, make it last. So you can see that there's no ill intention that the idea was good to start with. Is that right? They were seen to
2: be useful, Mm -hmm. And, and in a way, miracle products, yeah, that would make our lives
1: easier, perhaps, or protect us in some way. Look, it's fireproof and affordable. It'll change the way we build or your fire insurance will go down. You know, there's all these other aspects of the whole building system that come into play when we think about materials. Or it's that idea
2: of the expansion of a color range, for example, that makes it really interesting for designers and architects. Like suddenly, instead of just having five colors, you know, that you might have had in the 19th century, suddenly you have a whole palette of colors. You have hundreds of colored paints. Like how amazing is that as a homeowner to think that you can completely transform your home because of these products. That's pretty attractive, right? It sounds
1: really interesting, like the green. <laughs> you know, It seems like a wonderful thing. Just seemed innovative in its day. You know, and I think that's the thing. Like, we know we're architects, designers. We get very excited about innovation. But without this layer of protection which says, okay, great, it's a great innovation. Now let's see if it has any harm on human health or on the environment. Now let's take it through a series of tests and make sure but it's still the greatest innovation we've ever seen.
0: And how about more recent innovations? That's coming up next.
1: Families have a lot going on.
2: where science and technology were really going to save us, were going to allow us to advance to a place way beyond where we were right now, that we all could have homes, we could all be safe, we could all be healthy, we could have choice, that would all give us this better life. That's a pretty attractive vision of the future.
0: At Allison and Jonsara's design lab, their nonprofit looks at the health and toxicity of building materials, all of the things we find in our homes. And at the beginning of the episode well they basically told me our homes were healthier back in the 1830s than they are today so i wanted to know more
1: i mean it's very hard to find a building product that doesn't have a polymer that doesn't have a plastic kind of binder in it at this day and
0: age what is a polymer
1: a polymer is basically a petrochemically derived chemical that is used in plastics either to make something very soft, make a a series of chemicals bind together and make them very pliable, soft, or to make them very slippery and hard. So with those kinds of properties, you can create all kinds
2: of things, from glad wrap to vinyl floor tiles to window frames to gutters, as I'm looking at the window here. Do you know all of those things are possible because of plastics in new ways? cheap, light, easy to install, glue them all up, you know, a different kind of building.
0: Sounds terrific, by the way, sounds fantastic. It sounds as good as lead, asbestos and arsenic combined.
1: That's that's (laughs) right, except. (laughs) Unfortunately, it shows up almost everywhere. Really,
0: like my kitchen cabinets?
1: Probably, yep. Maybe they have a finish. Do they have polyurethane on them?
0: Maybe they might have. They might have mixed it with the paint to give it a little extra durability.
1: The poly in the, there is the problem. Poly. And how about paints, right? Because now we have paints, and they're all polymers, pretty much. I mean, we call them, you know, latex. We wish they were latex. Latex would come from a rubber tree. That would be nice.
0: Wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> so latex, water-based paint.
2: Acrylic. They're acrylic. They're. Acrylic.
0: Mm -hmm. So acrylic means polymer?
2: Yeah, it means plastic, yeah.
0: So they got better, and everyone loves acrylic paints because they lay down beautifully, and they last, and they're flexible.
1: They dry really quickly. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They lay down almost as nice and smooth as lead paint.
0: But you guys don't like them.
2: No, no, because, you know, what it's doing is it's like taking a sheet of glad wrap and wrapping your room in it. I mean, that's what acrylic is. It's a very Yeah, we're basically living in a plastic
1: bag.
0: (laughs) So, okay, so generally speaking, polymers, how are they getting into our system? Explain that process. Is it now it's, now I'm not eating it.
1: Well, but you might be eating it. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is the crazy thing because when it's in your home, these kinds of chemicals shed from the walls, they shed from our floors, and this is all very microscopic, And then you might be sitting on the floor, having pizza with the kids, and those little dust particles get blown up just with your wisp of your arm. They get onto your pizza, you put them in your mouth, and you do eat them. Actually, not even just kids. We eat them. We breathe them in.
0: Okay, so why am I not dead? Why don't I have a third eye?
1: (laughs) They
2: don't kill you right away. (laughs) (laughs) And they may be impacting your fertility. So that's something that you need to be aware of. All of us need to be aware of. And you see like falling fertility rates for men and women in this country, particularly men.
1: There's new studies about sperm counts, which are really plummeting.
2: Yeah, directly related to this chemical, phthalates in plastics.
0: You're hitting home here. I, I
2: know. You don't want to know that. We I can thought we were
0: just going to be talking kitchen cabinets and now you're coming right after my manhood.
1: I know. Well, this is the crazy thing that like our whole endocrine system, which, you know, is all part of our reproductive system, whether you're men or women, they're all really affected by the things that we surround
0: ourselves with. A recent study by researchers at Harvard University and the Massachusetts Institute of Technology is pushing back on the sperm count theory and the exposure to chemicals. Now, I may just be skeptical, but I was curious how Jansara and Allison can be certain that it's the things in our homes that are making us less healthy. Is it possible? Well, I guess so. But doesn't there have to be real evidence of that? As the old saying goes, correlation is not causation. So I asked them, "What's up with that? This idea that you know correlation isn't necessarily causation. Are you certain that those ailments that you list are directly linked to our homes and not to other things?"
2: Well, it's a combination of the toxic soup that we inhabit. You know, we spend nineteen, ninety-five, a hundred percent of our time indoors. In COVID, it's at home. Before that, it was in our offices, in schools, in hospitals, and those built environments contain these products.
0: So I saw a study recently reported in the paper that over the past century, human life expectancy has doubled. That, from a macro level, says we are healthier than we have ever been, living longer than we ever have over the last century. The same period of time that you guys are arguing, we are surrounded by more deadly, toxic, and unhealthy materials. How do those two jive? Because I think a lot of people have that in their minds. You know, it's, it, I understand the idea that you can feel well and be slowly being poisoned by things. But if we as a society have a doubling of our average lifespan during this past century, how do those two square up?
1: I remember hearing that statistic, but more recently I heard that it's leveling off, that actually life expectancy in the U.S. is going down or leveling or plateauing.
0: But it did double over the century when we added lead, asbestos, arsenic.
2: Well, we also added penicillin vaccinations. We added access to clean and reliable sources of water. So we transformed our environment in other ways Mm -hmm. as well. So it's a combination of factors. And I think it's who are we talking about? Whose life expectancy are we talking about? Are we talking about people living in poverty or in Cancer Alley in Louisiana people who are living on the, you know, the edges of factories where these toxic products are being produced, their life expectancy is certainly not the average, and it's a lot less um, than the typical median average. So, you know, I think it's a complicated question. It's a great question to ask, but our study of this area is really, there are so many links to these toxic chemicals in our immediate environment. There are clear correlations there.
0: In 1840, the average person lived to be 42 years old. In 1960, we eked out another decade, living to 52. Today, life expectancy is 80 years. And since the late 1800s, our homes have added indoor plumbing, improving sanitation and access to clean water. Our kitchens went electric. Refrigeration means food poisoning isn't a given anymore. We insulated, installed central heating and air conditioning. We stopped leaks and drafts. More people today have a roof over their head than ever before. And during that time, our health improved a lot. Given a chance to live in a home from the 1800s or one built today, I'm taking the new construction for all of those reasons. But I hear what Allison and Jansara are saying. There are valid concerns with materials like asbestos and lead and plastic. So how do we make our homes healthier?
1: I mean, one of the things is just be careful about what you bring into your home. Cleaning products, for instance. You know, one of the easiest things, simplest things that you can do is remove the plastic shower curtain that you might have hanging in the bathroom. Because that's full, that's plastic, and it's full of these phthalates, which make that plastic shower curtain pliable. Make it feel like it's a a textile curtain. You know, maybe you use a cloth curtain instead. Paint your walls with a different
2: kind of paint. Maybe look at a lime or other mineral-based paint.
0: So much of our stuff is built in, though, that the things that we just pointed out, I mean, the cabinets, the floors, the countertops, which we didn't even get to, the sinks and the refrigerators, they're all built in. And I get the point of don't bring in bad chemicals with your cleaning products, but what about the stuff that's already there?
2: So we think we always advise people to just paint, just change as the first step, paint and, and get rid of that vinyl uh, shower curtain. And then already you're starting to um, make a much better interior environment. Open the window and let some of those toxic chemicals fly out and fresh air come in.
0: Now, there's a saying on the job site, make it tight, ventilate right. That means homes are better when we tighten them up if we properly ventilate them. They're more energy efficient, and with newer mechanical systems, homes can have the air exchange we need. Now, I'm sure you've heard people say you have to let the house breathe. Well, that's basically a euphemism for homes that leak. The problem with homes that breathe is all the air leaking out and in is usually happening in the wrong places, like in musty basements, around old plumbing pipes, or through your chimney. That's not how you want air coming in or out of your house. So sure, let your house breathe, but let it breathe in the right way, with proper ventilation systems. Newer technology means we can make a house energy efficient and control the fresh air. And that's not the only innovation that can improve our homes. Jansara and Allison say sometimes it's combining old materials with new technology.
2: We met this great guy in Denmark who's working on the evolution of linseed paints. And he says you don't have to repaint his windows. I mean, he thinks the life of his paint is about a hundred years.
0: And he's got a linseed-based paint.
2: He's got a linseed-based paint. Yeah, and he's dip-
0: it's plant-based. Yeah.
1: yeah, in mm-hmm. fact, he's farming the flax plant. It has a beautiful blue flower. It's farmed in the field. It does not need pesticides to grow because it's hardy.
0: So. That sounds exciting except you just told me that asbestos is mined from the ground and perfectly natural and so is arsenic and so is lead. So how long until we find out that flax is killing me no, and because... I had to scrape my windows while I was dying?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I mean that's what we love plant-based buildings.
0: Tell me how they work.
1: We're advanced in our knowledge as we know we're in 2021. So there's advanced technologies that it can be applied to plants. And you can actually mix a plant with a mineral. So imagine taking a perfectly fine plant, surrounding it in a little bit of, you know, mineral, letting it harden. It doesn't burn. It's a little bit porous. It makes an excellent insulation.
2: It has natural flame retardant properties, so you don't have to add all those nasty chemicals into it. And it creates a a thermally cozy house.
0: I love it. What is it? What's it called? And where do I buy yeah. it?
1: This is called hemp lime.
0: Jansara says this is an example of a new plant-based product that would replace insulation. And she points to the recent popularity of organic food as a path forward. As organic food becomes more mainstream, it's become more available and cheaper. And Allison says the same will happen for healthy building materials. You know, when you buy a
2: box of cereal, you can read on the outside how much sugar is in it, for example, and then decide not to buy it. With building products, you don't have to do that. You don't have to tell people what's inside your product. So you've no idea. You've no idea for a lot of products what's inside them. That's the problem. Lack of transparency.
1: So that's what we advocate for. We advocate for nutrition labels, say, on building products. Like, what if we knew everything that went into our building product? You're putting new flooring down. You go to select the flooring and you have... A few ingredients labels. And it's like the Michael Pollan thing, right? Like if the ingredients list is like three inches long, you might be a little skeptical. So next time they go to Home Depot, they can ask, you know, the people in the
2: orange shirts, you know, what's inside this product right here? I'm thinking of painting the baby's room. Tell me about this paint. Does it have anything toxic in it? The more of us who ask these questions, the better things are going to be for all of us. I mean, we become advocates for our own space of our own lives.
0: Over the years, many well-intentioned materials have proved to be unhealthy in the long run. Lead and asbestos, at the time, they were an improvement over what we had before. But were they the healthiest choice? Well, with the benefit of hindsight, now we know they weren't. But I'll be honest, I don't share all of Jansaro's and Allison's concerns. I, for one, will take my current house with its indoor plumbing, double-pane windows, and its air conditioning, over just about anything built in the 1820s. It does make sense to be on guard for materials that could be toxic. Maybe one day I'll regret retrofitting my home with spray foam insulation, even if it did make my house way more energy efficient and more comfortable. And I think it's a good thing that as more products come onto the market with fewer toxic ingredients, you and I have more selection and choice because we do have to find a balance between innovation and the health of building products. And who knows, maybe one day, getting a health report on our homes will be common practice. Drop us an email at clearstory at thisoldhouse.com to let us know what you think of this episode, and if there's anything else you want us to explore. If you liked what you heard, subscribe to Clear Story and leave us a review. On Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Clear Story was produced for this old house by Catherine Fenelosa at Rococo Punch. Production support from James Trout, Andrea Suahe, Chris Ermides, and Sarah Chase. And thanks to our guests, Joan Sara Ruth and Allison Mears. I'm Kevin O'Connor. More next week. We're doing a podcast about houses and materials, and I never thought I'd hear a discussion in this podcast that we were going to zero sperm. (laughs) I don't know how to handle it. Check out the latest This Old House episodes on your local PBS station and on the Roku channel. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube for more from our home improvement experts. Sign up for our email newsletter at thisoldhouse.com.